Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Right. Welcome to episode five and our second episode recording remotely. We are getting there. We are getting there. Just a top tip if you're going shopping and you don't have a car, just uh, take a suitcase instead. Uh, does the job You've pretty well. You've been taking suitcases to the shop? Yes, I've been taking my carry-on luggage as well as the backpack I use for travelling just to replicate the airport experience. But of course, <laughs> I'm only just going to the shops. That's when you know you're missing travelling when you're taking your luggage to the supermarket. That is the level I've gotten to now. What are the shop assistants like saying when you were there when they're like, oh, any bags? Do you need any help? What, and you just plonk out, open up a suitcase. She was like, no, that's a great idea. And I was like, I know, right? I've got to get that 5kg bag of rice home somehow. <laughs> oh, gosh. So to be fair, and I'm out here like with bags in two hands, a rucksack and all of this madness. And you're there like, oh, no, no, I've just I've come back from holiday from Asda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, if you want to be extra cheeky, you can take a 30kg size suitcase as well. <laughs> and I'm presuming there is no liquids kind of limit on this one exactly no it just makes the experience a whole lot better who knew we're also bringing you you know how to little a couple of tips here and there on how to kind of optimize this time yeah take a suitcase to the shop i'm gonna carry on with this after lockdown to be honest yeah it's actually not a bad idea although i think i will definitely try it in this week's episode, we decided to explore the rise and fall of Robert Gabriel Mugabe. There was, we were definitely going to do this episode, so yeah, it had to yeah, be done. Yeah, no question about it. Mugabe, a man who led Zimbabwe for almost four decades and a true representation of what happens when you believe your own hype. He went from a man who was focused on reconciliation and reforming Zimbabwe to an egotistical, power-hungry leader who once said that, I have died many times. I have actually beaten Jesus Christ because he only died once. Yeah, we are clearly entering despot territory with this one when you're comparing yourself to a deity. Um, yeah, I'd say that's outer limits of despot life. Tell me about it. You know, your leader has lost it when even death is a competition. He's like, yeah, Jesus only died once. Like, I have died so many times. And spoiler alert, um Mugabe uh yeah he's uh kind of dead did it but um yeah yeah definitely there are <laughs> spoilers just in case you didn't know so this guy just literally went from savior to dictator in four decades that must be on the Guinness World Book of Records or something yeah fastest rise to despotism I think it should and when he was alive it kind of uh kind of felt like he was gonna live forever it was like he had photos with all these people that were long gone and it was like hang on this guy's still here. He definitely, like, with him saying that he would, like, die so many times, he was definitely, like, around for a long time. A very long time. But I tell you what, Queen Elizabeth II, she's beaten them all. Gosh, I don't know how she's held on for this long. Like, crazy. If she makes it to 110, then you're like, wow. Mate, 
nah, she's she's living forever. And we know she's not going to be a strain on the NHS because of that royalty money. But yeah, she's going to be here for the rest of our lives. She's just like, you guys, you go over there with your public sector. I'm going private, mate. I'm getting... <laughs> mate, I can just get my treatment at home. I mean, the doctors come to me. They live with yeah. me. <laughs> I don't even have to leave this place. Like, 110, here I come. Let's talk about Zimbabwe and its former incarnation as Rhodesia. Before we get into the tea that was the life of Mugabe, it's important to give you context in terms of Zimbabwe and what the country was like when Mugabe was growing up. Like many African countries, Zimbabwe was a British colony and soon became an independent, unrecognised country still under colonial rule. The Prime Minister of this so-called independent Rhodesia was Ian Smith. You honestly could not get a more English name than that. Ian Smith, president of Rhodesia, here I am. How can a prime minister of an African country be called Ian Smith? It doesn't really compute. I am sure everybody within Rhodesia had the right to vote for Ian Smith and they were like, this is a guy who represents and will and stands for what I believe in. Do you not think? <laughs> Mate, honestly. To give you an idea of what Ian was like as a person, here's a quote from one of his speeches. We are in complete control in Rhodesia today. We, the Europeans, we are all powerful. We have the reins in our hands and we can pretty well do what we like. Now, I've not seen honesty from our politicians like this in a very long time. Oh yeah, gosh, it's so rare. Like, he's at least open about it. He's like, do you know what? We can do whatever we like. There's not really anything else that, yeah. It's like, you know what? I am a racist and uh, don't really care. I'm just going to tell everyone that I am. <laughs> it's not like those questions lines are like, I don't, it's not that I am a racist, but I'm not a racist, <laughs> but. <laughs> it's like he didn't even use the excuse that like he had a black friend or something. He was just like, I am totally. racist, guys. At the time, Rhodesia was run by and for a white population who made up about 5% of the whole population, with the remaining 95%, let's be clear, this is the black population, treated like they don't exist, so they were denied human rights, kept out of power, and refused a share of their nation's wealth. Now, this is not dissimilar to apartheid, so most people associate um, a white minority and oppressive system to black people with South Africa and apartheid there, but... Actually, it's important to highlight that this was also happening in other countries as well. Yeah, no, definitely agree with you on that. It's great that we're to not great, but like just recognizing the fact that you know there were these similarities that they did share as well. You know, you've got five percent of the population. Do you think they refer to themselves as the minority, but then had this like white prime minister ruling over everybody? In his early years, Mugabe trained as a teacher and his interest in politics came about whilst he was studying at the University College of Fort Hare in South Africa. Following his studies from 1956 to 1960, he went on to teach in Ghana. Whilst in Ghana, he also met and married his wife, Sally Hayfrom. He then returned to Zimbabwe and joined the National Democratic Party, NDP, in 1960. But the group was banned and later became the Zimbabwe African People's Union, ZAPU, led by Joshua Como. The aim and purpose of ZAPU was to have a black majority rule Zimbabwe. So that's pretty fair, isn't it? You know, you wanna, you're making 95% and you'd also like to be represented within that. Not a bad shout. Majority representation, hmm. 
This kind of sounds familiar. Let's make this happen. Gosh, I swear, history is just a repetition of all the past things. It's like, when will we learn? At the time, the idea felt almost unachievable, considering the country was being led by a white prime minister who believed that colonialism is a wonderful thing. It spread civilization to Africa. Before it, they had no written language, no wheel, no school, no hospitals, not even normal clothing. I'm sorry, but that's just really petty. Um, he didn't really have to draw the wheel comparison there. Like, really? A wheel? That is what you're bringing into this whole situation. Do you know what I mean? When you're like, achievements, what did you bring to Zimbabwe? Oh yeah, I introduced the wheel. Yeah. Gosh. Well, uh, once again, it's Ian Smith showing that he's a racist and uh, not denying it. No, he's just fully owning it. When we were researching around um, Mugabe and Zimbabwe at the time, one of the books we read was the social science jargon buster. And they make a really good point about how elements of, you know, what Ian mentioned may have been true. But before colonisation, Africans also had no experience of genocide slavery, patronising attempts to be civilised, and treatment as second-class citizens. So, Ian Smith, you also failed to add those in your speech. I feel Ian should have uh, added a little asterisk there and just kind of read it aloud in a T's and C's advert voice, just saying, oh, genocide, slavery, patronising attempts to be civilised, just in a really sped-up voice. <laughs> that would probably, um, wouldn't offset the racism, of course, but at least it would be a bit more honest. Create a balance, you know, yes. We might not have had this, that and the other. But we also didn't have genocide. So please explain that. Gosh, this guy, honestly, I feel like this is the way in which they justified to themselves what they were doing. Do you know what I mean? Instead of being like, oh, we've bought slavery and it's, oh, there's schools and hospitals. So look at this side. As we've mentioned before in previous episodes, not having a written language doesn't mean the language doesn't exist nor does it mean they lacked intelligence it's just again a different system and the way in which colonization is done on the african continent like my way is the best way oh no you have to write in english you have to use latin letters because if you do it another way you're wrong yeah which is just honestly so crazy that they thought that's all right i'm not even going to learn from you because i've already got the right way here so just follow In 1963, Mugabe left ZAPU and helped form the Zimbabwe African National Union, ZANU. As he continued to go up in the political ranks, he gained the attention of the Rhodesian government, and not in a good way. He was arrested a year later and spent 10 years in prison for subversive speech. At this point in his life and political career, Mugabe was very much seen as Zimbabwe's Nelson Mandela figure as their background, stories and subsequent rise to power were pretty much like for like. Now we get to the Liberation War and the Lancaster House Agreement, which took place in 1979. The Second Chimarenga, also known as the Zimbabwean Liberation War, took place between 1966 to 1979. Mugabe was a key activist and influencer in this war, which was a struggle for a democratic multiracial society free of colonial oppression. To help bring the war to an end, the British brought all the parties involved together at Lancaster House in London. They reached an agreement on the terms of Zimbabwe's independence. At the conference, you had the British government facilitating the session, Mugabe representing ZANU and Joshua Nkomo representing ZAPU, and finally, the Rhodesian government, represented by the illustrious Ian Smith. 
The outcome of the conference was the agreement that Zimbabwe could become and be recognised as an independent state. The UK continued in its role as facilitator and supervised the elections of a new Zimbabwean government, in which Mugabe won and became the first Prime Minister of the newly independent Zimbabwe. So as a side note, ZANU and ZAPU merged and became ZANU-PF, which stands for Zimbabwe African National Union Patriotic Front, a bit of a mouthful, which as Prime Minister, Mugabe became leader of. Honestly, the ZANU-ZAPU, ZANU-PF, you w- I just wish they tried a couple of other letters from the alphabet, please. Gosh, it's just... I wish they did. However, everything has to stand for Zimbabwe African something because their repeated requests are the same. How many other words can we add? Democratic, that is missing potentially, but hey. (laughs) In light of its newfound freedom, Zimbabwe became a positive example for many African countries and was often described as the breadbasket of Africa. The government achieved many successes post-independence. So from education, there were, you know, primary schooling was made tuition-free, with more than 90% of all primary school-aged children attending school. In turn, the country became one of the most educated and literate populations in Africa. Um, Healthcare reforms led to a decline in infant mortality to 63 in 1,000 in 1989, and an 80% full immunisation rate for children aged 12 to 23 months. Lastly, from an economic perspective, the economy experienced high growth rates in the early 80s and the government also helped raise living standards through the setting of minimum wages. So early years, Mugabe was very much focused on reconciliation with the colonisers. You know, he once said that if yesterday I fought you as an enemy, today you have become a friend. If yesterday you hated me, today you cannot avoid the love that binds me to you. So, you know, he's out here being, you know, pally with everybody. And during this time, Mugabe was doing well and Zimbabwe as a whole was receiving really positive attention and so was he. So in 1981, he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And in 1987, he became president of Zimbabwe and also received a knighthood from Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. So, you know. Wow. He's been recognised. He's doing all right. That's a bit of a madness. Do you see what I mean? Like, he was being recognised and doing things left, right and centre. The bloke was doing well in that time. Was. Was. (laughs) No spoilers. The the (laughs) operative term there. Another aspect of Mugabe's life that was receiving positive attention was his love life. So during this time, he was still married to Sally, who he met whilst teaching in Ghana. And... You know, during this period of his life when he was doing so well, Sally fell ill and was battling a terminal illness. And one day at work, he decided to approach his secretary, Grace. And in his own words, this is what happened. I said to her one day, I love you. And she didn't respond. I then grabbed her and I kissed her. She didn't protest or refuse. And then I said to myself, now that she has accepted to be kissed, it means she loves me. So this is straight out of an erotic novel. We've gone a little bit more, you know, sultry. <laughs> yeah, not usually the remit we go to on this podcast, but um, 
Is it sultry or a level of sexual harassment? I would opt for sexual harassment as opposed to sultry. The fact that he just thought, oh yeah, because she didn't protest that she's she's okay with this. Mate, you're four decades like Hysenia. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is, as they say on Love Island. <laughs> it is what it is. Once Sally passed away, Grace and Mugabe eventually got married and went on to have children. Grace, who is also known as Gucci Grace, was known for her lavish international shopping trips and bursts of violence. She was once accused of assaulting a 20-year-old model with an electric plug. So Grace was out here, you know. Yeah, GBH Grace. GB- oh, GBH Grace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that would have been more apps. <laughs> She also controversially earned a PhD in sociology from the University of Zimbabwe in just two months, even though her thesis, unlike, you know, other students, was never filed and has never been made public. Imagine getting a PhD in two months, please. Can you sign me up? Because I kind of need more stuff to put on my CV. Tell me about it. I'm going to the University of Zimbabwe if I can get a PhD in two months. Like... May. I'm in and out, like, that's less than a gap year, two months, and I've got myself a PhD. I'm a doctor. Yeah, doctor in marketing, here I come. Now we get to Mugabe's downfall, which unfortunately is probably the more famous part of his career, particularly as it's more recent. So in the 90s, Zimbabwe began to fall apart as Mugabe made a list of errors. He decided to lend a hand in the war in the DRC, supporting President Laurent Kabila in his fight against rebels, which of course was costly and did not help the Zimbabwean economy. I think the key takeout from this is that sometimes you just need to mind your business. Oh yeah, definitely. As much as we say sometimes, you know, get involved, support these, you know, countries in not war, but in conflict resolution, whatever. Sometimes if you can't afford it, get out you do not need to jump in Ugh. some people like to go on shopping sprees and spend money on you know clothes but Mugabe was out here spending money on wars this is when gucci grace should have put her foot down be like i'm sorry but i do need to do a shopping trip we cannot be spending money on a war during that time white zimbabweans still owned the majority of land in the country and the war veterans wanted immediate land reforms and decided to make it happen for themselves by intimidating, beating and killing white farmers. Of course, Mugabe decided to sit back and watch this happen. During this time, Mugabe also wasn't a fan of the West as they began to impose sanctions on him. And he once said, the white man is not indigenous to Africa. Africa is for Africans. Zimbabwe is for Zimbabweans. The white man is here as a second citizen. The only man you can trust is a dead white man. He was definitely feeling some type of way going from like getting a knighthood from Lizzie to now being rejected by the West. I'm not a fan of her. She gave him a knighthood, although I think there's a bit of knighthood inflation right now and she does like to hand them out willy nilly. Well, she's got nothing better to do, has she? So might as well make up a list of who else can get it. Lizzie, I'm out here. (laughs) We're here, Liz. (laughs) At this point, in current circumstances, everyone's coming out of this thing with a knighthood. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I should hope so. The war veterans continued to make new demands on the president and asked him to put together a pension package for them, which he agreed to do. But of course, the country wasn't doing well economically, and so Mugabe decided that the only solution was to print more money. 
Uh, yeah, so this is a bad idea. Um, if we look at Germany after World War One, they printed off lots of money, which devalued their currency to the point where children were uh, essentially paying with blocks of money. Oh my god! And the long-term obtuse consequence of that is that they ended up with Hitler. So yeah, it's um, not a good idea. Yeah, never print more money. Sadly, as a result of these errors, citizens began to flee to neighbouring countries as a result of widespread unemployment. Schools and hospitals fell apart and life expectancy dropped from 61 to 45. Not that 61 was a high number, mind, but 45 is uh, abysmal. 45? Gosh, imagine that thinking. You're like, you know, you've just had your 40th birthday and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've I've not got much time left, to be honest, guys. I've got to get on with that bucket list. (laughs) It's actually very peak having to write your will at such a young age there. During this time, obviously, you would expect the population to be outraged and asking for a change in leadership. And although there were many attempts, Mugabe held on to power and won elections time and time again, something which he achieved through violence, corruption and intimidation of opposition. So that's the classic despot triad there. If you want to be just like me and still hold on to leadership, please commit the following. Violence, corruption and intimidation. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell is this? In 2008, Mugabe lost the election against the leader for the movement of democratic change. So these guys pretty much have a title that says what it does on the tin. And their leader was Morgan Shangarai. Also, they were known as the MDC. Of course, Mugabe demanded a recount. And during this time, supporters of the MDC were attacked and killed by supporters of Mugabe's party, leading to Shangarai withdrawing. So this is an example of intimidating your opposition because if they're too shook to run against you, then, I mean, they're gone, aren't they? You don't even have to kill them. You don't have to do anything. It's just like, oh, okay, here, here I am, another, another couple more years, guys. <laughs> 2017 spelt the beginning of the end for Mugabe and the chain of events leading to his resignation began with him firing his vice president, Emerson Yangagwa. Why was Emerson fired? Well, at this point, Mugabe was 93 years old and it was clear that physically and mentally, he wasn't fully himself. I mean, he clearly wasn't well here by this point. He was saying crazy things like, it's hard to be witch African girls these days because each time you take a piece from her hair to the witch doctor, either a Brazilian innocent woman gets mad or a factory in China catches fire. So misogynoir very on brand there also at what point does a president of a country really needs to say this i cannot think of a scenario where this is a relevant (laughs) comment for him to make i mean it's not really relevant discourse here is it i can't imagine this happening in a press conference i mean once again it just shows how mugabe is making the same mistake he made earlier just not minding his business not gonna lie this is very trump-esque yeah it's that sort of senile because like he's 93 let's be honest i don't think that he's working within the same capacity as he was all those years ago and it's also something trump could say like you could probably play a game of who said this trump or mugabe who said this (laughs) gosh that would be a very difficult to win now that's a lockdown challenge for you 
Emerson was obviously the likely candidate to be next in line for the presidency, but Mugabe began preparing his wife, Grace, to be the next president of Zimbabwe. The first ladies group was known as G40, Generation 40. It sounds like a really bad name for like one of those um, reality TV kind of bands pulled together like the X Factor. Or the yeah, it's like, you know, an X Factor when it's like, oh, I didn't make it to boot camp, but let's just chuck a load of you together. But they'll never linger about for as long as One Direction. They'll just sort of disappear. One Direction and Little Mix's life. So, yeah, Generation 40 was a reference to the youths of the country, the under 40s. I don't know, do you think, like, the youth counted as under 40s because the life expectancy was, like, 45? Well, yeah, that's the thing. They should be geriatrics. I'm not really sure what she's getting at here. Yeah. And many in Zimbabwe weren't thrilled with the idea of Grace potentially being their next president. You know, you had protesters shouting things like, we don't want prostitutes in politics and leadership is not sexually transmitted. So whilst this sexism was horrific, so was Grace's political style. She was petty and personal. Emerson, on the other hand, was backed by the military and war veterans and his faction was known as Lacoste. Lacoste? Yeah, 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 you heard that right, yeah, Lacoste. So that is obviously the the name of the French brand with the crocodile. Right. Which is also a reference to his nickname as the crocodile. Um, yeah, a name he was given because of his mannerisms and things. I'm not sure if I should be afraid of Emerson here. I know, tell me about it. Lacoste versus Gucci Grace. <laughs> GBH Grace. Oh yeah, GBH. Yeah, Lacoste versus GBH Grace. Sorry, let me get that right. After firing Emerson, Mugabe then tried to arrest Zimbabwe's top military commander. And that's when the military decided enough's enough and seized power. They took control of the state broadcaster and Mugabe was basically put on house arrest. The party that Mugabe had helped form, ZANU-PF, removed him as party leader and basically asked him to step down or face impeachment. With this ultimatum put forward, everyone thought the president was going to resign. But stubborn as ever, Mugabe addressed the nation and was basically like, I acknowledge that there are a couple of issues that the military, you know, have brought to my attention and I'm working on it, so you know, TBC. Yeah, that statement kind of reminds me of the British government right now, but you know. Oh, definitely. I felt like he is a little bit like Jennifer Hudson's character in Dreamgirls. You know, that song, um, I don't even know, like, no, it definitely has that, like, I defiant, I'm not going. But you know what I mean? Like, if you're literally being pushed out by the military, please leave. I mean, even Trump got impeached, but He's still here, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true, and he's still still out here. Well, it didn't last long, as impeachment proceedings began, and Mugabe resigned, and a few days later, Emerson Yangagwa became the new president of Zimbabwe. So this whole takeover to resignation happened pretty speedily, just like matter of weeks how can you go from despot to just being humiliated like oh yeah tell me about it like literally from the beginning of november to the end of november zimbabwe went from mugabe who had been there for literally since the beginning of time to you know emerson coming in be like yeah i'm your new president let's get started Mugabe didn't do too badly out of his resignation. So let's not be out here like, oh, now he's unemployed. He was granted immunity from prosecution. He received a couple of millions and would be paid $150,000 salary until his death. 
for a man who left the country with huge debts, high unemployment rate, poor health and education, he resigned with no consequences. You know what? It's actually really mad because how can your severance package include being immune to go to court? I mean, he was never ultimately held accountable for the damage he inflicted on Zimbabwe. Oh yeah, no, no, no accountability whatsoever. He was literally able like, okay, at least, I don't know if it's just this idea that like Zimbabweans were so happy that they were able to remove him from power but they were like just go whatever it takes do you know what i mean you know what it's just mad absolutely nuts that he could just collect all that salary until his death and the complete irony as well is when mugabe was unwell he ended up seeking treatment in singapore which you know kind of speaks testament to the fact that like the country that you built you didn't trust your own country's medical system to look after you because you knew it was trash yeah he was just like i know i'm not i'm not messing with any of this out here i'm off i'm off to singapore and getting yeah but yeah so that brings us to the end of episode five and exploring and understanding robert gabriel mugabe interesting guy so yeah Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to subscribe to get episodes straight onto your device. Yeah, and thank you so much for the support. And we will see you in a couple of weeks with our episode six. Yeah, our next episode is going to be on Liberia, looking at how the country was formed. I am excited about Liberia and finding out a bit more about it. So, yeah, see you soon, guys. See Thanks ya. For listening. Take care of yourselves.